Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, the beginning. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. As it was written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean country and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us that we may receive with wisdom and hear with joy what you are saying to your church this day. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Picture, if you will, in a dimension beyond that which is known to human consciousness, a dimension as vast as space and timeless as infinity, a middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, between the pit of human ignorance and the summit of eternal knowledge, a dimension of imagination, let's call it an arena of twilight, a zone of speculation, a world in which Christmas does not exist. Um, my paper says wait for the gasps. <laughs> Then begin again. All right. Don't get me wrong. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat, right? God willing. But this is still the season of Advent. And today we hear from Mark. And reading the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, believe it or not, can be a bit like stepping onto the set of the, t of the 1959 to 1964 TV show, The Twilight Zone. Especially if you're expecting the story that the gospel writers Matthew and Luke tell us with angels and shepherds and a brilliant star and a young girl named Mary engaged to Joseph, an overcrowded inn and a manger full of hay and a baby, a baby with a common name but an uncommon purpose, Jesus. Yahashua, little Yeshua, Joshua, which means God is salvation. Now reading the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, all of that story is gone, swept away as if it had never happened. It's kind of like when George Bailey in a, It's a Wonderful Life gets his wish through the angel Clarence that he'd never been born, and he is able to step back into his life, but it's not his life now, because he was never born. He was never there in the first place. 
and every trace of his existence is gone, and everything has gone wrong. And George is completely bewildered, looking around at those who should recognize him, yet everyone is miserable and hopeless and lost. And he has become a twilight figure in their midst, unable to affect them or to create change. There is no longer, this is no longer his zone of life. All seems lost. Now for some of the earliest Christians, who read the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. For them, Christmas didn't even exist. It's as if it had never happened because perhaps they only had this one Gospel to read. What we know now uh, as the Bible, all of those books only really came together four centuries after Jesus' time. So some of those early Christians only had Matthew or Luke or even John. And so those poor Markan Christians didn't have Christmas. Now we call these folks who read Mark, Markan Christians. And those Markan Christians knew the gospel of God in its fullest though. They knew of God's anointed one, the bringer of salvation without the Christmas story. And if one of those Markan Christians were to meander miraculously somehow into our sanctuary, they'd be so confused by our Christmas trees and our garlands and our lights and the carols, and I'm sure they'd be confused a lot about a whole lot more, but they'd be confused by the angels singing in the night sky. It would certainly be for them like a twilight zone. Doesn't the good news begin with Jesus appearing in the wilderness where God has prepared a highway for the ushering in of God's salvation? Mark and Christians knew the fullness of God's salvation story. Surely, but for me, having lived with Christmas for some 50 years or so, uh, I think I would miss it. For me, Christmas tells an essential part of the good news story, of how it was that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped and held onto, but he emptied himself, being born in human likeness, and taking the form of a servant. He was born of a woman born under the law. And this happened in Bethlehem in a cattle shed, born in the lowest, low, lowliest of places, so that he might be one of us. That story comes in a couple of weeks. Today, however, we need the context for why it is so important that God's salvation appears like the dawn of a new day. If those Markan Christians wandered in here, and if they could understand what we were saying, they might first and foremost recognize that in these weeks leading up to our celebration of the birth of Jesus, we are talking about the advent of God. They'd say, yes, yes, it is God who's coming. This is what the Markan Christians knew. The moment that Jesus appears on the scene is a time long predicted and long anticipated, a time in which God is making a way in this world, a way for hope and deliverance and restoration and freedom and rescue and emancipation for salvation, for the presence of God in our midst. The God who is making right what has gone wrong. It is, it is God who is coming. Picture, if you will, 
God looking down from the heavens and saying, something is not right. Those whom I have set free are again in a state of bondage, racked by war and violence against, against themselves and others. And not just these whom I shepherd as a flock, but the whole creation has gone askew. Something is wrong. Everything is off. It looks like the world I intended and have tended, yet those who dwell therein seem caught in a half-light, a twilight that is not quite dawn and not quite noonday. I'd better go down there and do something about this. God is coming. In God's eternity, God foresaw this moment. God spoke through the prophets of old, and as a candle lit in the shadowlands of the past, it still burns. A voice springs forth again at the dawning of God's salvation. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who is preparing the way. Out in the desert lands, I am making a way, a highway, so that my salvation might come and bring to light all that has gone wrong, and I will show you the way out. And now picture, if you will, in this alternate dimension, a man dressed in camel's hair, eating honey-covered locusts with out-of-control hair and a beard, who wanders into our serene nativity scene. Let's see, well, we've got Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels, and a few sheep and goats and some wise guys from the east, and, uh, but we're waiting to put baby Jesus in the manger. But wait a second, who is this? Somebody call security. There's this guy, and he, he looks a little sketchy, and I'm certainly sure he's making those camels nervous. But John doesn't go away. He just wanders in and starts yelling out, Repent! You too, repent! You sinners, you who are unclean and unworthy for the new thing that God is doing. God is on the way. God's getting nearer. Soon the heavens will be ripped open and God will come down. The construction crews are already bulldozing the hills and backfilling the low places. They're building a highway. This is going to be huge. God is coming. Turn around, change your minds, change your ways, get ready. The one of whom the prophets foretold is on his way. He will tell you all about God's arrival. People get ready. Repent. Take notice. Rend your hearts so that God might enter in and mend, so that God might enter in and mend them. And it's no wonder it feels like we're in a twilight zone. John the Baptist just isn't the right kind of social influencer for this moment, getting us ready for Christmas. His vibe is off. He's unsettling more than the camels. He's unsettling us. Yet even though John the baptizer doesn't quite fit our Christmas story, he's part of it. He's part of it all. Those Markan Christians would recognize him in his proper setting out there in the desert, practically singing, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Because they know, and we all know, it is God who is coming. At the turning of the ages, at the right time, a people who sat in darkness will see a great light, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Hallelujah. 
All right, let's step out of our dream world for just a moment. I remember back teaching, teaching preaching at a little place called Princeton Seminary. Maybe you've heard of it. One of the first sermon assignments for students every year at this time of year was that they preach from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And students looking for the Gospel kernel in this passage, they would usually land on that message of repent, right? And be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And this would usually involve them trying to find three points, like repentance means uh, Get rid of selfishness and materialism and mistreatment of others. Stop doing these things. Live in light and the right relationship with God and follow the way of Jesus. It's not a bad message. But I found that students often miss the most important thing here. This text from the opening of the good news of Jesus Christ is just not about us. It's about it's about God. And my students often sat there bewildered when I'd say this, but it's true. This text is about more than us. John the baptizer doesn't appear in a vacuum. He is set in the context of the work that God is doing and ultimately in the context of who God is, a God who is in the business of making things right. Let's start off with God, folks, I'd say to the preaching students because God is where it all starts. John's preaching doesn't make any sense unless we know who God is and what God is up to. The gospel writer Mark brings forward ancient voices that tells us these very things from the prophet Malachi we hear. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom ye delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a washer's soap. Because Mark references this passage, we hear that it is John and thereafter Jesus who calls the people to be purified and baptized not only with water but with Holy Spirit. In the midst of God's people, God will do something that will make right what has gone wrong. God is in the business of redeeming and transforming and God will do this so that all may see it and say hallelujah. Then, Mark quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and we hear this more fully as if the age were turning from twilight to dawn. Comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. Now speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term and her penalty is paid and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. And a voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so to preaching students, I'd say, don't move too quickly to the human story here. 
what we're supposed to do. Start with God. And in the opening of Mark, at the beginning of the good news, what we hear is that God is coming. Nothing else makes any sense until we hear that and understand it. And I would say, don't rush to Christmas yet. I would say to us, let's live for a bit in a world where Christmas hasn't happened. I repeat now what I would say to those preaching students all those years ago, for it is God who knows the brokenness of this world. It is God who knows how all creation is groaning in eager longing until the dawning light of God's salvation appears on the horizon. It is God who knows the fragility of human life, of human beings who are one day like the grass of the field that flourishes and the next it perishes. It is God who would restore each and every one that they might turn in faith turn in trust and in belief and be made whole in God's economy with all of creation restored and redeemed. I would tell students, preach about the God who knows what it means to see the least and the lowest crushed by violence and war. Preach about God who brings life out of death who turns tyrants from the wrong to the right. Preach about the God whose glory, whose very presence is about to erupt on the scene and the radiant glory of God's very self so that all flesh might see it and might see and believe in God come in the flesh. Preach about the God who is coming even now at the dawning of the new age of righteousness and love. And so even though it seems a bit odd to preach from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, just two weeks away from our celebration of Christmas with the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the star and the manger ready and waiting at the margins with all of us crouching, as it were, towards Bethlehem, we start here in the twilight zone, the turning of the ages, the place of two lights, the old and the new, the temporal and the eternal, the waning and the waxing, the place of the world's groaning and eager longing for the dawning of love that is not only born among us, but who walks among us on that desert highway, along with us, that in the dry and barren land, like a sudden refreshing stream, we might experience Emmanuel, God with us. The prophets startle our imagination, scriptural, Scripture startles our imagination, wrenching us out of the twilight zone and into God's real world, where the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. And then, and then we turn from our warring ways toward the way of God, off the path of materialism and toward the way of salvation. And on this path that God has made, we love one another. We call for righteousness. And we live in light of what the God of eternity is doing now at the turning of the ages. We repent. And we are baptized afresh with God's Holy Spirit. And we continue to wait in eager longing for the coming of God in the flesh. For it is God who is coming. And we move toward our celebration of Christmas as those who have stepped from the shadows into the light who experience God in our midst, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, who says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those free who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of God's favor, the year of God's glory. Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Amen. <laughs>